guys what's up so uh, this is the episode i've been trying to launch for the longest time actually we did the original interview about a month ago and now you get to finally listen to it this is going to be one of the longest ones and i thought about making it two parts but i i thought about it i was like i, I don't like doing that because then you have to wait let me just give you it all at once i talked to Muslim women in architecture and I put UK because obviously they are in the UK but normally I don't do that but for the next two I'm going to add in the locations of it so at least you know ahead of time what continent we are on. I talked to Reem Tahin. Now in the interview you'll hear Leah but it's also Tahin so she goes by Leah so we go back and forth with her name but okay so I have Reem Tahin and Zahara so three women and I hope when you listen to it you get a sense of who's who now obviously we did this over zoom like video zoom so I see who's talking but when I was editing I was like oh snap I hope you can identify who's speaking because it's obviously you know my voice by now hopefully but the other three ladies that's on here, uh, I'm hoping that you can distinguish the voices. We got political, which is exciting. Talked about capitalism and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we talked about women in architecture and having a group specifically for that. I've been involved in women architecture programming, especially in the AIA. So we talked about having men in the space and whether that space is a safe space for you is it a safe space for women if it's safe enough that you feel that you can express yourself or tell a story about an experience that you've had we get into that a little bit we talked about faith faith in god And how praying for what you want and just allowing God to present opportunities. And we did talk about religion just a little bit. It's not the basis of the conversation. Again, it was not two hours about religion. It was about four women of color having the conversation of what it's like being in this profession. How is it like being different and not trying to assimilate and be an image that is portrayed or the idea of what a female architect should look like. You should just be an architect, right? But again, this is not that conversation. And the three women presented themselves as individuals with their own specific experiences. So when I mentioned, yeah, God was talked about. And whether you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or Jesus was just a prophet, or Jesus was just a story. It's an understanding of our differences. And what I loved about our conversation was just four women having a conversation. And again, we acknowledge our differences, them being in the UK and me being in the US. Like we talked about that. You will learn a lot out of this. And 
all of your preconceived notions about Islam or any questions that you have that's basic questions I did not ask (laughs) that was not my basis I didn't want to ask those stupid questions because what I did was I looked stuff up and I read it and I comprehend and I understand it and I didn't go back to them and say hey let me tell you what I learned on the internet and I didn't (laughs) I didn't do that I, I did my research, like with any other interview that I always do. When I don't know a group, if you're a stranger, I do my research. The only thing, though, and I mentioned this during the interview, is that I didn't know the people who I was talking to. I correspond with them through a DM, and so I have no idea who I was speaking to. So when I found out it was three, they were like, oh, yeah, it's going to be three of us. I'm like, oh, okay, it'll be three. So... When I started talking to them, I didn't know their names. And so I had to like, and again, like I explained this in the interview that I, I can't read. (laughs) I am horrible at pronunciating. As you can see, you could probably, you know, you're like, what did she say? It's, it's yeah. But I usually practice saying names and then I apologize right away because I I know I'm I'm just going to mess it up so but I do my research the point is is that I do my research and all the stupid questions that I had in my head I got that out the way to educate myself so that I don't ask like not sound like an idiot because the last thing I want is to disrespect anybody and or to make any uh, assumptions and I still do I still make uh, assumptions, but if I get corrected or whatever, or I, I appreciate if someone would correct me on it so that I can learn from it. But again, like I did my research, I read up on it, and I made sure that this conversation was not concentrated on my stupid questions because the goal of mine was to give them a platform and to promote them and to say, hey, you need to understand that there's another section. You can't just say women in architecture and do this broad stroke. You can't do that because for a long time, it's always been white women in architecture. And so then me being a black woman, it's like, well, what about me? What are my struggles? What are my needs? So then you have black women in architecture. And then you have okay, but, you know, I identified myself as a brown woman. But again, like, I have my own needs, my own questions. And then there's a Muslim women in architecture. I didn't know you guys existed. I didn't know you guys had issues or struggles. Let's talk about that. Or not. Like, it was just uh, get to know you and let's just hit on what we have in common and talk about what we don't have in common, if that's what we want to talk about so uh, I really enjoyed I don't know how many times I'm gonna say this I'll say this like 10 times it was a pleasure talking to the three ladies and I hope you enjoy okay all right guys bye thank you for (laughs) doing this you guys just popped up on my Instagram feed and Mm -hmm. I was like oh I I never thought I I just I I never thought (laughs) (laughs) 
about any of the challenges you would face in this field. And so when I saw the formation of your group, I got really excited. And I was like, I have to talk to these ladies. I have to hear your stories. I've written down some things that I want to talk about. Basically, it's just to get to know you. Who are you? Where you're from? The same question. (laughs) (laughs) Why architecture? How was architecture school for you? And then the formation of MWA. You met at BFA, correct? Is that the story? Or no. no? Well, BFA is a is another organization called Black Females in Architecture. Right, right. We so you invited, guys were in that group or no, no we invited no. one of the co-founders, Selassie, for one of our panels that we organized, panel discussions that we organized while we were at university. And then through her we kind of got inspired. And then it kind of moved on from there. But I mean, the discussion to have something for Muslim women existed for ages. We just didn't know how to go about it or where we would begin. But I think with BFA, it sort of made things a little bit more clear about how we could start maybe an initiative. And then from there, we start thinking about what else we could do. So... Since you're the late one, I think I'm going to start with you. (laughs) Me? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay, as punishment. Okay, (laughs) it's only fair. Okay, so we, like Rim and I, we did our undergrad together. So I've known her since my, the very beginning of my architecture career. And so that was about eight, nine years ago now. And so we saw there was barely any Muslim women in, in the senior years of our university and there was there's quite a few actually muslim women in our year so there was rim and then i say three rim how many the three four maybe seven, seven other muslim eight we were eight we were eight muslim girls in our year nine uh, ten <laughs> 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 they're just coming to me now i think we were ten how big was the class 150 Oh. Yeah, roughly every year 50. is about 100. Yeah, so out of 150, there's only about nine or ten Muslim women, and then in the year above, um, there there weren't that many Muslim women, and then you know in masters, I don't think I ever saw a Muslim woman doing architecture, and so it just felt like there was no one like an older sister or someone to go and ask for advice or anything. It's just the only other Muslim women that we knew of that was successful was Zaha Hadid, and you know that was the first person that would come up on a Google search. And so it felt like, you know, we were the only ones, but actually in reality, there's actually so many Muslim women in architecture that are successful. And this is, we're realizing this now, like years later, and we're learning about all these new Muslim architects that, you know, they're just quietly doing their own little thing. And so, so Rim and I, like I said, we met in first year and then we met um, Zahra in our third year and it was only when we did our masters and Rim and Zahra they did they curated the mega crit in 2019 I want to say yeah, 2019 yeah. 2019 Zahra was the president of the Westminster Architecture Society yes and uh, Rim was a vice uh, vice chair was it vice president vice president vice that was president. so they did an amazing job of like putting this event together and being two Muslim women 
they were able to do that and it's it was I felt like it was a great opportunity for them to realize that we can do more stuff like this and a lot of other tutors were telling us that why don't you start up uh, an org- like a platform for Muslim women that are in architecture and like people everyone was talking about it like the people that we knew in uni people that we knew outside of uni they were just saying oh you're you're so underrepresented in this industry why don't you start something up everyone's saying we need the space we need a platform we need um voices but no one was really doing anything and so it was only last summer i would say three of us just started talking and you know let's do something and and we just took the jump and we applied for the london festival of architecture i would say that was in around may may march Mm -hmm. may and so and then you know covid happened and uh, we delayed and then we did it uh, made it into a digital thing but it was actually amazing though i think we wouldn't have reached as many women as we did if it was a physical event here in london we've got people from you know canada south africa india pakistan australia like that wouldn't have happened if we just done a little uh, event and a little exhibition here in london so it's like a blessing in disguise, I'd say, that, you know, we were allowed to do something online. It pushed us to think outside of the box. And we started off doing these majlises and the response has been amazing. And, you know, everyone being at home, everyone's on, on the internet. And yeah, I, I, and I, I'm, I'm amazed how in just the space of, I think we launched about three months ago and the support that we've been getting has been incredible. So never in a million years did we think that it would in such a short period of time. And we're so excited to see where it goes in, in another three months and mm-hmm. in time. And it's incredible. And like for you to reach out to us, like we're so, you know, appreciative, like so yeah. grateful that you reached out and wanted to hear what we had to say. And we can't thank you enough. But yes, it's been it's been amazing, like you know how it's all, you know where we are at just in three months in. So that's what I have to say, and I don't know if the others, other two, want to say anything else. Kind of. Can I can I make a quick correction? Yeah. Like, without yeah. Sounding too. It's not three months, dude. We started in June, like literally the beginning of June. So, <laughs> no. We've been talking about it for ages, but we only launched it in June. Oh gosh, really? Oh so, my god! Yeah, th- so the success is a lot more. So less less than two less months. Less than two months. Yeah, less wow. than two months. Wow. Sorry, I I got my I, I calculated it wrong then. So less than two months. So you know, amazing. I you know I want to jinx it. So hopefully it just keeps you know growing. But yeah, yeah. Grim, do you yeah. want to say? You've said it all. <laughs> You've listened. I was just like, hmm. <laughs> and I really must, like, it never occurred to me until you actually um, said it, that it's so true. Like, the the whole pandemic has been, I don't want to say the pandemic has been a blessing because obviously that's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is us having to deal with it has been a blessing in disguise. The way that yeah. we've had to go digital, for example. At first we thought, oh no, if we go digital, that means we're not going to have a what's the word engaging engaging audience because you always think engaging with people is in physical terms like having to see someone and 
talk to them but actually we've been doing it through social media and even better than if we were to do it in, in physical terms as a physical exhibition and it's just like you said Leah like reaching out to all these people I never thought that would happen myself as well it's crazy. Um, when we had one person say, oh, I'm from Canada, we got so excited. And then we had someone say South Africa. We're like, what? South Africa? Like, it's just... It's, and it she, was... works for, she works for Counterspace, yeah. who is a super huge inspiration to us. They're two hijabi women who are yeah. leading the firm. And we're like, whoa, what is happening? Yeah. And just to know as well that one of the women who runs Counter, I mean, first of all, Counter Space, obviously they're doing the Serpentine Pavilion in, in London. So that was a big thing for us to know that they are part of it, but also to know that one of them is a tutor at university. And, and going back to the idea that we never saw Muslim women, or you could say visible, visibly Muslim women uh, uh, who were senior to us, but not only that we never saw them in teaching positions so just to know that she is in that position as well kind of gives us that push that hope that motivation that inspiration that encouragement every single positive <laughs> word I could think of just to also believe that we will as Muslim women also occupy these um, spaces and um, roles within the industry hopefully soon you said you all met at uni right yeah yeah that's yeah, right yeah. so how was architecture education for you? Ooh. Zahra, do you want to go first? Yeah. Oh, mine. I don't know how, I mean, did we, could, could, is it right for me to say that we all had very similar journeys in terms of <laughs> architectural education? Really lots of bumps and roads and bumpy roads and, you know, failures and lots of crying and just like every <laughs> other, other architecture student, but um, a bit more, I feel like a bit more difficult in terms of what we had to prove because you know we're Muslim women we have societal pressures in other ways and there's you know we can't take too long to be in education and there's like you can't spend a lot of years in education there's there's a lot of like limitations in that sense so we've had quite a few bumpy roads I think some struggles with teachers some not some struggles with projects <laughs> And not being, I think for me, a personal struggle was just in connecting with um, tutors that had a very Eurocentric education. And I, I'm not British and I, I was an international student in, in London. And yeah, the, it was a culture shock for me, I think, when I first went. And it was difficult to kind of integrate. I don't want to use the word integrate, but yeah. So when you say culture shock, do you mean culture shock as a woman, culture shock as culturally, culture shock as like what all of the above? Is it like the like you mentioned, like the education, like it's very Eurocentric? I think it's perspective. Like when when you're in when you're OK, so I grew up in, in Dubai. And for me, as far as I can remember, I always wanted to go to London. And I had this sort of weird image of how London would be. And I know that Dubai is a lot more, I don't know what the word is, not developed, but... More of a metropolitan a different, city? Yeah, more of a metropolitan city. And with London, when you go there, it's almost as if it's hard to reach out to people. They're a little bit more closed off. And I mean, I quickly learned what, like, what the, how to get into, like break those boundaries. But in the beginning, it was like, oh, wow, I thought people would be a lot more friendly. But maybe that was just me being completely ignorant of what world was outside Dubai. I don't, I don't know. 
personally, that's how I felt anyway. I feel like that, like I experienced that as well, but being a Londoner, I've been in London my entire life and even I face challenges like that. So I can definitely relate to what you're saying, Zahra. And yeah, I think, you know, going into uni, it was difficult, like integrating with people in the beginning. And it, I think for me, it was a huge shock from going from college to uni. But that was, that was just, I think, my uh, struggle with the way architecture was taught. I think it could have been done in, in a better way. I, I feel like in a lot of architecture schools here in the UK, I don't know how it is in, in the States or in other places in the world, but it's almost like you're just thrown into the deep end and then just expected to learn how to swim. And it's very overwhelming mentally as well, more than anything. And you have to kind of really quickly learn how to compose yourself and act a certain way or people will vilify you in like crits they will rip you to shreds break you down to tears and it's nothing and you just have to learn how to develop a thick skin and I think trying to do that at 18 19 it was difficult and I have to admit it was very challenging me mentally even throughout my architecture and it's been like that you know it was like that in undergrad when I went back to the masters I think it was actually a lot worse for me personally through my masters Rim had a better experience I'd say for her masters but I think you know it, it differs but overall I think we all had a challenging time mentally more than anything in architecture school and the way it's taught here in the UK it's not very sympathetic towards how we feel mentally I think they need to be more sensitive of what some of the tutors, they need to be a bit more sensitive about how they say things or the, the criticisms that they give during a critique or a jury. It's, it hurts. It's like, it's like, especially with the arts, you're putting your, your interpretation of a brief, your, a project, and you're putting it up on a wall. You're being vulnerable. You're showing a whole room of people. This is what I think. This is what this project should be. And I want to incorporate this and this, and I want to bring these aspects. And the for someone to be like, that's rubbish, that's shit, you know, you will never make it as an architect. That is a lot. That's a lot. And to have having to compose yourself and not being like breaking down into tears, it's it takes a lot, especially for someone, you know, like, like I said, as a, as an 18-year-old, it's a lot to be able to have that emotional strength, that mental strength to compose yourself and you know take it in and process what they're trying to say. Because as soon as you hear you can never make it as an architect or your your work is rubbish you just start associating it to your self-worth it's like oh so you think i'm i'm rubbish you think i'm you know, do you see what i mean i'm talking in general terms here but yeah I, I remember in first year my first ever crib it was at the end of end of the week so it was on a friday and so throughout the week i heard like all these horror stories about how everyone's first crib went and I remember hearing one girl was broken, like broke down into tears because one of the critiques told her that she'll never make it as an architect. This is her first ever crit in architecture school. It's the first jury, and this is what she's been told. So can you imagine how that would that would feel? Mm -hmm. How it would leave an emotional scar? And I can I can imagine even all these years later, she probably remembers that. And even I. I, I've never been told that as, as a student, thankfully, but hearing someone else experience that, that left an emotional scar on me. Like, oh my God, like for someone to you know, criticize you like that openly in front of, in a room full of people, that, that's a lot. And I think 
that's what architecture school is doing wrong here. One, one of the many things, but I do think slowly more and more as it's becoming a norm to talk about mental health, I feel like tutors are getting better at kind of understanding that being a bit more sensitive but I would say in undergrad days it wasn't as much I don't know what you girls think so my undergrad was a bit different because I'm I'm I've just finished my undergrad whereas they've gotten to their masters so I was still in undergrad when Leah and Reem were doing their masters and for us it was even though we didn't have more in terms of numbers like they had 10 Muslim women we had like three maybe four visibly Muslim women and almost all of them I think what was kind of different was the ones that were in my batch, they would leave as soon as studio ended because they had to go home. Like they had family back home that really did not let them kind of stay over. It wasn't safe for them to go because they lived far away from the city. Whereas I lived close by to uni, so I could kind of go back and forth really easily and I could stay quite late in studio. And when I'm working, there's no other Muslim woman that is present. It's just, well, I mean, I don't want to be rude, but white people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be as careful as possible, which, yeah. But I had a point to make about never being, you can never make it as an architect because I heard the same thing during, not one of my personal crits, but I was watching someone else's crit and she was a Muslim woman, visibly Muslim woman. And she had her project on, and this was a practitioner, not like a tutor. This was a practitioner from outside. And he sat there and he looked at, he's like, are you sure you want to do architecture? Like, it wasn't even like, you're never going to be, like, there was no statement. I feel like the other statement kind of pushes you a little, like, I need to prove you wrong. Whereas this is like a cynical sort of, you know, are you sure? Like, are you, I'm, I'm coming from a good place, but... <laughs> Am I really coming from a good place? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, it was probably like, I, I was really offended for her. I almost wanted to stand up and say, mm, that's not how you should be speaking to her. I understand you're a practitioner, but come on. We're all here to learn. Rim? I'm going to go back a step, a step back to my early days at Westminster with remembering Leah and the, some points that she mentioned. But my, my take on it is that Westminster is a very diverse university so they get a lot of international students and I remember starting as a British Syrian Muslim I don't know how to <laughs> how to describe myself but let's just say that I obviously I my my parents were born in Syria and they came and then I was born in London so my father never went to university and my mum didn't finish her degree although she did go so it, they really did push me to go to university and continue with my education and for me obviously there was we spoke Arabic at home all the time and then my English wasn't really strong even though I went I was born here and I was I went to uh, school I had my education but it still wasn't as strong so then you had all these international students coming in and they've they've a lot of them have had you know what are they called not not boarding schools but they've had a bit of a stronger education than me I went to estate estate schools for example whereas uh, state schools, sorry whereas obviously they've come from a slightly better education system so they would all come and they would all use their fa- fancy words and charming ways when, <laughs> when doing their crits and 
it was intimidating for me at first I'm not gonna lie and I felt like I had for me my biggest challenge was standing up to these to these international students who had whose parents had had an education at university and they they had so basically they had someone in their family who had been to university and they kind of knew what they were doing whereas I was the first of a kind from my family and I was kind of I wouldn't say lost but I was it was a, a bit of a challenge so for me that was that was my first challenge and then my so within it came many challenges which is my spoken English had to improve <laughs> a lot so obviously if I go if I was to kind of play a mental memory in my brain of how my presentation skills and talking skills have uh, evolved over the years there's definitely I, I've definitely put that as one of my priorities within within my whilst I was at architecture school that I need to definitely up my presentation and speaking skills and I feel like that's a big thing for us that we always say I don't know I mean Leah and Zahra would agree but I always talk about this with Leah that we the way we talk about our projects yeah it needs to be you know the confidence needs to be there because sometimes we like you were saying Leah we stand up there and we're really vulnerable about the work that we have but just having that confidence and knowing your terminology and doing your reading and that's all part of developing as an intellectual and in the academic field so for me that was a big thing and also going back to that whole maybe architecture isn't for you yes I've had it as well and I struggled during my I think for me the biggest shock was going from first year to second year where they automatically expected you to know how to do things just because you've done one year in architecture when really yeah. I've just about scraped <laughs> through that year and yeah it's taking you to an office and kind of staring down at you and saying so tell me what's going on and breaking into tears and saying oh I don't know I just don't want to be here I don't want to be in your studio and it's like but you have to be here it's like, but I want the others it, it, because we have different studio groups you see so a lot of the times what happens is even if that's not your studio choice you just find yourself in that studio and then you're doing work that you don't want to do about a brief you don't want to for example the brief I had to do was design into uh, an interface between an animal and a human at London Zoo and I just didn't get it for me I wanted to go down a cultural route coming from a cultural background for example whereas all the white students they were really like thriving in that project because I don't know they just did <laughs> but so yeah I mean where I see myself, Leah said, mentioned that I had a better experience in my master's and that's because I went into a studio that particularly focused into cultural issues in the Middle East or in contested spaces. So I was able to do research about a project which meant something to me as an architect. I was finding my identity within the field and I was kind of relating it to my personal issues and and for that reason, I was able to do well in that project. And I'm not saying it's not, I'm not trying to like push for the idea that you should always stay in your comfort zone, but I definitely think that you should find something that you like and are interested in so that you can achieve the best you can in the work that you do. Yeah, I feel like I've touched upon a lot of things. I've just jumped can, from. Can I make a comment? Um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Including, so you need to find something that you like 
but you also need to find a tutor that will be celebrating what you like as well. Because I, I tried in one of my studios, which the brief was very vague and it was very vast. So I kind of fit it to what I liked, but my tutor was very dry <laughs> to say the least. And for them, it was just about getting a project out and, you know, just do some artsy stuff and get it over with. You just need to pass. That was kind of the mentality. So I was coming from, oh, there are so many communities here. There's so, many, there's so much culture here. Let's, let's try to bring all of the community together. Let's do this. Let's make this. And while I was explaining my project, she just looked at me and she said, why are you making this so compli complicated? And I said, it's not complicated. It's just different like it's just more rich in culture I, I don't know how else to explain <laughs> yeah and I think with with just that one sentence and that reaction it was overreaction it just kind of I don't know I didn't want to do my project anymore almost like it it, it was really difficult to get through that year I want to go back a little bit so started with REM why did you pick architecture I picked architecture because, <laughs> well, initially I was really into the whole arts and um, design. And if it wasn't for architecture, maybe I would have gone into fine art. I mean, that's why I always said to my mom, I want to do fine art. But my mom being a cultural mother said, no, you can't do that because that's not gonna, what's that? You know, that's a hobby. You can't study fine art. You have to do something else that will make you money, something that will give you stability. That was her idea. Like a doctor, <laughs> a lawyer or something, right? Yeah. So I was like, fine. Okay. So I looked into it a bit more, but I've always had an interest for space, you know, like how certain spaces can make you feel certain ways. From a young age, my father, he used to always take us to galleries and exhibitions. And I always experienced these kind of spaces from a young age. So they had an effect on me. Like they brought back certain memories to me. I remembered certain things that I made associations. So that was, I, I really liked how certain spaces can have that impact on me. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could design spaces in the future that can have positive impact on people's memories or their lives or whatever it is. And then I started, I really had a kind of like political interest. So a lot of my art that I used to do in school had a so I would look a lot into the Palestinian cause and I was I really made sure that my artworks made certain statements so I was really into Banksy for example uh, and then I thought wouldn't it be nice if I could find out if there is any architectural practices out there which in, which incorporate politics with architecture and that's when I came across Palestine Regeneration Team, which is led by Nasser Golzari and Yara Sharif, who also run the practice Golzari NG Architects, who I'm currently doing my part-time with. And when I came across them, I thought, okay, that's it. This is what I'm going to work towards. I want to do architecture, which challenges these, these, what's the word? These kind of situations, these kind of conditions that are happening, you know, the, the conflicts and whether it be a societal or a literal physical conflict or whatever it is so that was one thing that I was really interested in so yeah I went ahead and I thought this is it I'm going to use architecture as a tool to try and challenge these these issues globally that are taking part 
place globally. And then when I did get into architecture school, I remember I, I went with Leah to one of the lectures during our undergrad and Nasser was actually giving a lecture at the University of Westminster. And I thought, wow, perfect. And I went up to him and I said, I've done my research and I've come across your practice and I would love, and I literally looked down at him and I was like, I'd love to. <laughs> and I think I freaked him out at first and he was like, oh, well, thank you. But no, not on this occasion. But fine. And then I went through second year and second year, I actually failed that year and I had to retake it. So when I was retaking it, I was the batch that I started with had a year above me and they were doing their work experience. We have to do two weeks at a practice. And someone that was in my studio in, in that year, I heard him say, Nasser. And I literally sprinted across the studio. I was like, I heard you say this name and I just want to let you know that I'm interested. And then after that, what he did was he, when he was in, in practice, they needed to get something printed. And I was working at the print shop at the university. And he said, oh, Rim, they need to get something printed. Do you want to do it for them? Maybe that's a good place for you to kind of like establish something with them. So I said, fine. And I did it. And they came and they took it and they thanked me. And they said, we've got this thing happening for Gaza, open Gaza with Professor, the late Professor Michael Sorkin do you want to join us on it? And I said, what? Yes, of course. And then I went and then they said, do you want to do a project for it? And I said, what? Yes. And then they said, do you want to, what was it? Organize the symposium. And I said, no, come on, you, you must be kidding. Like, What's going on? I was like, of course. <laughs> and it just kept getting better from there. I did my year out with them. And then I went back to Westminster. They started teaching there. I did my two years, at my part two, two years with them, came out and I've, They've really been supportive and encouraged me throughout my whole career. They've taken me on, taught me so much, been patient with me. I've been part, I've become part a researcher for the Palestine Regeneration Team, which is literally what made me want to go into architecture in the first place. And to wow. think that I'm now part of that is amazing. And it's just basically just to show like how everything will fall into place eventually, eventually. But it's just if you have a dream and you really want to do something just to go for it. And yeah, I, I've been around to did, took part with them in the Chicago Architecture Biennale, which was in collaboration with Rawak, which is an organization in Palestine. And then we did the Berlin Film Festival and just so many other things. But yeah, I'll stop there. But that's my journey. <laughs> that's that's my journey. amazing. Like that's. Wow. <laughs> so you just sprint across the studio and you heard. And yeah, I heard a name and I was like, I must. And yeah, that was because of Bill, Bill, who was my classmate at that time. He was so it was just, he was so nice. Just also like something to note on just encouraging each other and uplifting each other. It's not a competition. Like we're not all trying to race each other to get to the finish line. We all want to do good. And if I can, if I know that I can help someone out, or just do one little thing. Like all he had to do was tell them she she can print your work for you, and then things took off from there. So it's it's really the little things that can one little spot can just create the biggest change in someone else's uh, career. So, and I think that also goes back to what MWA wants yeah. to do. It's just we're not here to change someone's life by. I mean, we're not here to create massive massive. How, how, how do I, how, do, how shall I explain this? Basically what I'm trying right. to say like, is I think that's one little great. thing. Yeah, one little thing we can do, hopefully, even if it's a tiny, tiny thing, but hopefully that will create a massive impact in someone's yeah. career. So, yeah. 
I don't know how you ladies gonna top Rim story, but oh, we, there's no way. <laughs> Trust me, she's definitely got the best story out of all of us. Alhamdulillah, yeah. It, it, all yeah? I mean, for me personally, as a, and this is one thing where faith also plays part of this organization, which is we have strong faith in God. For example, like we do our prayers, we we ask for for God to guide us and provide us with the things that we want. I mean, that's me talking on a personal level, but. For me, I really do have strong faith that uh, if it wasn't for God's plans, things wouldn't have worked out like that, that the way they did. Yeah. So I always use the phrase Alhamdulillah. So all praise to God mm-hmm. for the way that things have worked out. Leah, do you want to go? <laughs> me. So my, my uh, story isn't as amazing, um, unfortunately. But it is a very similar beginning. So I, from a young age, I had uh, a love for art and design. Um, as long as I can remember seeing my mom always you know, making little things, like crocheting things or sewing things or you know, learning how to, you know, bake a cake, a new sort of cake or something. So it's always like learning new skills and designing things. And I saw that throughout my entire childhood, my mom doing that. and obviously I picked those up making things doing little craft stuff at home and when I went into school really enjoyed my design technology classes so it would start off where you would you know design something on paper you would draw out I don't know it was a little triglet box you're making so you would draw it out on paper do all the measurements and you know, look at the materials and you know how it will be used and like come up with different versions of how the triglet box would look like and then it was a process of going and making this. And so it was trial and error making this thing. And I, I enjoyed this so much that it was the beginning of my secondary school education. And I still remember this. It was probably like 15 years, 15 plus years ago. And I still remember this. It was this one project in particular. And I loved doing it. And that whole process, I, I thought, you know, I, I would love to do this for the rest of my life. The, the process of putting something on paper designing something on paper and then seeing it being physically made. I, I, I love that concept. And so at one point I thought, you know, maybe I could go into product design and all that, but then I thought that's too small, but I really liked just fine arts and visual arts. And I wanted to go down that route as well. And I thought, okay, so how can I combine the two, but then, but in a bigger scale. And so, I don't know, like, I, my parents were like, oh, you can never make it as an artist or not just my parents, like my family in general, it's like they wanted me to either become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. I never had an interest in medicine, never had an interest in, well, I almost went into law. I, if I hadn't gone into architecture, I probably would have gone into law, but then it was like, there's no design aspect to that. But that thought process is no kind of thinking. I went down the design route and so engineering and then art kind of combined it together. And I thought, oh, maybe architecture. And at first I thought architecture is just, you're just designing buildings and there's nothing to it. But I started doing my research and I realized that there's buildings, there's architectural interventions that can actually have positive impact for the people, the community. And it it can have a deeper meaning than just the little block. So... I thought, okay, I want to become an architect that, that is, I want to create architecture that is like a piece of art. It has more meaning to it than what you see. So more than just a facade, more than just a, there's more to it. And it 
you get more from it it helps the community it helps the people it helps the environment i'm really into looking at how buildings can enhance biodiversity in a community or in in an area not just people i also like how a building can impact the climate just kind of creating a structure that is like beneficial for all in literally all so people animals the plants the climate everything so just kind of creating this sort of organism that is just like does so much and so yeah that is my ambition like kind of doing projects like that in the future and so now i've been fortunate to be working with um, an architecture practice that looks at social housing here in london and they do a lot of work with the local councils I think the equivalent to social housing, do you, do, you, do you understand when I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it'll be like public housing. Or, or like yeah. the projects in, yeah. in America. I feel like projects like that need a lot of thought process in it because it's not fair to just chuck a, like a bunch of people into a shoebox of a house, like a building, because they're people as well. Just because they are less fortunate than you know the upper class or whatever, they're still people. They they deserve to have good homes. They deserve to have a good quality of life living in the city. And so I think being a part of that design process, I feel it like is very rewarding. And being able to be a part of that conversation and putting my you know input in um, these discussions and you know we could do this, we could do that. And so I work with this practical architecture doing place. And I've been with them for almost a year now. I would say I've always had an interest in looking at how you can better a community and how I can create spaces. In the practice that I'm in, the principal architect, uh, David Gunmiwa, he's been incredible. He's always listened to everything that I've said and, you know, tried to incorporate it into the design. And, and I feel very valued as an arch- you know, architect in training. My previous employees have been amazing, but they just didn't have that kind of funding or that kind of wiggle room for me to think outside of the box. It was more like more private residential projects where it was small scale projects, but I got a lot of experience through that. I, you know, picked up so many skills from those previous practices, but now like, I feel like I'm actually getting into the really good projects and I feel like projects that I'm working on now would make some significant difference for communities it has been difficult not gonna lie you feel like bad uh, person sometimes like you go into these communities and people don't like change so you know it's the fear of the unknown and we're not the bad people and I, I completely understand where they're coming from because there's so much gentrification that's going on here in and around London people just think oh you're an architect you're an engineer you're a developer you're all the same you just want to take up take away our spaces take away our homes and just leave us the crumbs you know that's how it's become here in London unfortunately you know people are thinking about how can they benefit you know like you knock this building down and then I'm going to put luxury apartments up because in London if I could do that I'll I can get like one and a half million for one flat and I could go off a tangent on this uh, Rim and Zahra knows I, I have very strong feelings about this it's, it's just on our majlis. yes the strong yes, feelings are on our majlis. yeah <laughs> it's 
it's so unethical the stuff that they're doing some of the developers not all again not all of, of them are bad but majority are doing this and i feel like it's so unfair the existing communities it's they're just breaking up these communities and making them even more dysfunctional they weren't probably they weren't dysfunctional but you know there's this thing where a lot of architects a lot of engineers they kind of have this god complex they think oh stand from the outside they think oh we know what's wrong you know i think this you know community is not doing well you've got a lot of you know crime going on you know what we're going to do a good thing we're going to help you out and we're going to put money in i'm going to make this community better we didn't ask you for help though we don't these communities don't probably there's a few issues you can work with existing community and you know make it better but no instead these developers are knocking down estates and stuff completely you know so, like cleaning it out and then putting something new in is like this is better for you now because we think that's better for you and i think it's so it's so unethical to do that because you're just because they're from working class backgrounds what are they not people do they not have a right to live in the city do, do they not have a right to voice their um voice what they want they are existing communities in that area and instead you're knocking those down so that you can make a profit and in the end these these apartments that are going up you know londoners can't afford them professionals can't afford them because it's just ridiculously expensive and it's like half a million pounds who has that kind of money and it's like it's just become almost you know how you've got in america you've got the american dream where you go get an education then you buy a house and a nice car and all that everyone's striving for that american dream but in the UK, you have something similar. I don't know what the equivalent be, it would be, like the British dream, this illusion, this kind of carrot that if you go and get an education, you can buy a house, you can get an amazing job, you can have a car, this, that, whatever. But in reality... That's capitalism, Leah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but it's... Um, Doesn't exist in London, only exists everywhere. <laughs> but... Actually, we could blame you guys. You could blame England for the capitalism because you guys brought it over here. So. Oh, yes, I agree. I mean, uh, probably because they colonized the entire world anyway. So, you know, I'm assuming that capitalism only exists because England exists. But surely, are you really going to capitalize on people's lives, like where they live? Where that's, they... What the, that's what the entire world is but doing. But how, how is that now? ethical, the, though? The, but that's so unethical, it, though. But... It is the truth. And how, why? Why? Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn said stop, <laughs> and they're not listening to him. And he was about to become our prime minister. They took the piss out of him. And if he couldn't, if he couldn't push for that, I don't. I don't know. I just sound so cynical and kind of what's the word? Pessimistic. That's the word. But but yeah, honestly, there's no hope. Sorry. You know, it's interesting how. The same thing that you were just talking about, I was talking about my previous interview. I'm going off topic, but this is great because it's political and architecture is political, right? The post-architecture and mapping segregation. So in the district, D.C., the capital of the United States of America, there was this migration and some of the Black folks that live down south. So you have the United States and then you have where you have the East Coast, the Atlantic Ocean, the closest to you guys. Some of the Blacks wanted more opportunities, so they go up north. There was a lot of work in the district and Black people would move up. So they created these things called, not created, but they labeled it as Alley 
alley towns. So this is like little shacks or whatever. And this is where the black community was living. Now they didn't have running water or, you know, they, it was the shacks basically that they made up and it was little alleys, was tiny little, little homes. The alley towns were closest to the water, like the harbor, waterfront. And the second area is where I'm investigating and eventually where I lived, grew up and stuff. So DC decided to have this plan called the Urban Renewal. And this was like, I, I don't know if this was happening in London or not, but it, this was like a, a US-based thing. So it was exactly what you're saying, except this was like 50s, let's say 50s, 60s, around that time, that they began this implementation of clearing these alley towns out. So some Black people own their land. Some people, some Black folks own their land. And through intimate domain, the city took the property. And they did this whole, like, urban renewal project called Southwest One. And it was, like, it's by the water and stuff. And it was this female architect, this, this famous female architect that did it. And then D.C. got sued because they took people's land. And there was a lot of political bad issues around that. So then they, when they did Northwest one, where I eventually grew up, they took a different step route, but there was still protests. There was still, they were, you know, taking land and so forth. So the woman that I was talking to, she is mapping. So when I say mapping segregation, during that time, when back in the thirties, when they have all these black people moving up, they, In order for you to sell your property, they had deed restrictions. And part of the deed restriction was you can't sell this property to Black people. And this is written. This is legal at the time. And it was passed on if you want to sell your property. Oh, in this deed restriction, you can't sell it to Black people. And then there was this uh, Fair Housing Act of the 1960s, 68, I think, that she... Uh, mentioned and made it illegal. But some of these deeds still had that restriction. They couldn't enforce it, but it was still. So she's mapping out, there's literally areas in DC that at one point in time, Black people were not allowed to buy the land. So then she was mapping public housing. So I grew up in public housing and come to find out that the person who designed the public housing was the same woman that designed the Southwest one. And I was shocked by that because I was like a woman. First of all, she was a woman, um, a white woman, but she was a woman nonetheless. And she designed this. And then the second thing I found out that the church, the Catholic church, Baptist church, like that whole area, the developers were a Baptist church and it was named after a pastor. So during like the sixties, when they were developing this, it was good intentions. Like I saw the plans and like, she did a great job. Like, and, and the other architects that worked on the other area, cause it was like an acre of land or something. I'm saying an acre, but it's big. Like it was a big settlement. And I was completely surprised by that because it was a good intention. So the architect, the design was sweet. The, it was thoughtful. It, and you're like, what happened? And one of the things that they did too, 
part of the deed covenant or whatever was they put a restriction saying that only low income residents could live here or a percentage of low income residents. So they knew ahead of time that they didn't want developers coming and trying to take the land from low income people. So that expired, like, let's say maybe like five, 10 years ago. And it's getting gentrified, basically. And so um, they're knocking these buildings down then? They, some, some of the sections have been knocked down and they're building these ugly buildings, mixed income, right? So part of the deal is you're going to allow, like, let's say you displaced 100 people. They're like, okay, well, we're going to allow these hundred people back in, but it's like an 1100 unit apartment complex. So you displace them. You say on top of that, you can't go to jail. You can't make charges on you, whether it's marijuana, felony, misdemeanor, you have to have a perfect record for as long as you've been out in order for you to get back in. So it's, (laughs) I mean, it. Okay, that's that's just another level. I don't think that's that it's like that here in the UK. I mean, this is just another way of like controlling people. What is this? How is and is is there things that are being done to better this, or people just accept? I mean, I mean, this is African advocates out there that are you know dealing with this, and including the church. Like, there the the church has always been in it, and that's another thing that amazes me. Like, you have the Baptist church, which is a black church. You have the Catholic church, that's that's there. It's like you know doing stuff like this is unethical, and how they're allowing stuff like this. Where where's the morals and ethics in all this? Why aren't they having a say? Well, it's the concept, right? We have HUD as Housing and Urban Development Secretary who believes that if you pull yourself from the bootstraps that you can get yourself out of poverty and that you are leeching off the system and the system was only meant to have you for a certain amount of time. So it's kind of like the concept of public housing is temporary housing. You're down on your luck, but you need to get yourself back up and be at market rate like everybody else. Mm. That's the concept, thought process of, of it. of it. And this is me, right? This is where I get conflict with what this profession is about. Because on the one hand, you kind of see that point, unfortunately, right? That you have generations of individuals, you have generations of families who have been on the system, Mm -hmm. right? And it was like, because my mom's a single mom, she made the decision to get off that system. And in the amount of money that she's making, is still below the poverty level. But she was fortunate enough to have two daughters, that supports her so she doesn't have to pay rent or she doesn't have to you know she she's okay she's taken care of because she has daughters who got education and whatever but there are families who don't there are families who produce children and they see that their mom is a single mom and then they have children and they get on the system because they see their moms on the system and so it's just a cycle that they have 
I recognize that cycle. On the other hand, I don't believe that you don't throw people on the street and tell them to figure it out either. Like you don't mm-hmm. do that. Like that's just, that's the inhumane part. You don't, you're not teaching them. And then also yeah. it's a system. So when they were taking away these homes, they were telling these people, they were telling black people, hey, this, this, we're taking your home, but you can move back in. And in order for you to move back in, it's public housing. You have to understand that black people didn't just fall into public housing. They were like, hey, we're going to take your home away. And in exchange, we're going to put up this brand new building. This building is called public housing. In order for you to get it back, you have to, you know, fill out this form, list your income, and then move in. Oh, by the way, we're changing these rules. You can't, like, you can't be married because if you combine your income, your income's too much. What? Yes. Like, it's, (laughs) and so it's like, when you you don't know, then you're like, okay. And so it's, you see the division of the the Black family, like, systematically, slavery, right? It's a continuation. I mean, it's. Welcome to America. Disgusting, <laughs> honestly. I I have no words. It's um. I'm I'm in shock and. Oh wow! I'm still processing this. Okay, and I thought it was bad here in the UK, and so, wow! It's just another level there. Yeah, it is. It really is. It really is, and that's why that's why you have to protest. That's why we are constantly protesting. This is why it's like we're just fed up and through yeah. like systematic racism policing of space they would go into these areas where black and brown people are conjugated in and they would police that space because again it's kind of like you are poor you are down you are uneducated i'm going to teach you how to be and then it's a psychological thing and this whole thing is a psychological again with the conflict the conflict of being in this profession and I, I realize that architecture is part of the justification. Is just we are the reason why this yeah. is happening. Like it, and it's 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 kind of traumatic. It's it's, and it's about me. It's about you. Why am I talking? Don't stop. No, it's no, not about stop. me. <laughs> it's about you. No, no, no. It's about us, no, women no, no. in architecture. We're sharing our experiences. Come on, we, we, uh, uh, architecture please. is political. Remember, yes. whatever you're saying is essentially. I mean, obviously, there's no way we can compare to those struggles. But in some ways, it, what you're saying about conflict and architecture and being being in this profession, it's it reminds me so much of the conflicts that I have because when I started architecture, when I chose to do architecture. I'm talking about me now and I was supposed to bring it back to Melissa. But, but like, it's, it's really funny that Reem and Leah said that they, they chose to do art first and then architecture was sort of their option to kind of get into art in some ways or like it was acceptable for them by their parents to do architecture instead. For me, it was, I wanted to do architecture and I was, I had to convince my parents that I wanted to do architecture. So please let me do architecture because it was, it was seen as something that doesn't make money, is kind of useless. You know, there are people who know how to build already. Why are you going to be an architect? 
I had my grandmother once ask me, so I was already in, I was already in university. She was like, what are you studying? I'm like, oh, I'm doing architecture. And she speaks Malayalam. So I like, I had to translate and I didn't know what the, I, I was stuck at Malayalam. So I didn't know what the word was. And I was like, oh, I essentially design homes. Like I built houses. She's like, oh, your grandpa knew how to do that, but he didn't go into university. <laughs> and I was like, ouch. <laughs> so yeah there was there was a lot of conflict in the sense of why do you want to start a profession that isn't going to be beneficial in any way why don't you just be a doctor or an engineer you know also there's this idea of a muslim woman not just a muslim woman, but any woman being on site on construction sites is it's difficult for them it's heavy lifting it's you know it's not acceptable in some ways and then i think someone randomly said that oh you can you can be an architect by staying at home you know you can stay at home and do drawings so architecture is the right profession for you because you can stay at home essentially after you get married and when you have a family you can stay at home take care of the kids do the do the stuff that you need to do the role that you need to play and then if you want to do a side thing, uh, drawing up stuff in the house, that's fine. And this is, this is random family. This isn't like my parents. You know, my parents eventually kind of understood my passion for it and then, you know, really encouraged me. Like my dad would, every, every second that I see him, he's like, Zaha Hadid, remember, Zaha Hadid. <laughs> like, she's not the only architect, dad. She's not the only architect, chill. <laughs> but it's like, it's the idea of like, you know, you need to aim as high as you can to get where you want like don't stop yourself but it took them time to kind of understand that because they come from a background where this wasn't acceptable or this wasn't easy you know they didn't grow up with that sort of understanding that women just can have these professions my mom isn't like she didn't go to university she just went to college so college is like plus one plus two eleventh year and twelfth year I don't know yeah. Oh, we don't do we don't do thirteen years. We do twelve years, and then end of. Oh. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's, it's so the equivalent of American, like senior, it's a senior year, senior year. Yeah, around, around that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I had the opportunity. I I did I did architecture school. No, I didn't do architecture school. I did a year of architecture school in Dubai. In, in an American university. So it was very American, like all of the history was very American. And I was like, and then I just suddenly shifted to the UK. And it was like, everyone kind of understood UK history and UK architecture, typology, social housing, all of that stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. I didn't have any art background, no art history background. It was just biology, maths, chemistry, physics. So like, yeah, I guess that was also part of the cultural shock that I was talking about earlier. (laughs) Like I had no idea what I was doing. So everyone was saying money making is important. And I was like, when I started architecture, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be totally like that, you know, amazing architect, architect person that makes all the money. I can do it. And then I went through architecture school, started studying history. And I was like, no, that's definitely not what I'm going to do. That is not why I need to be an architect. You know, there's already plenty of those. We need to we need to rethink your entire you need to rethink your entire value system. Wait, so they so they teach you about money? Like what? 
No, no, no. As in people around me were saying, like my family members, oh, okay. uh, friends, they were talking gotcha. about making money and bu- the business side of things. And they don't teach you how to make money in architecture school. No, no, it's no. like, I just want to make sure. They don't even, they don't even teach you how to, how to like take care of yourselves in architecture school. They just tell you, you need to design a bunch of things and then expect you to work your, you know, your butt off all through these years and then you're just going through several mental health crises at the same time and yeah there's definitely that uh no appreciation to someone's money as well like for example the way how can i explain this is by printing your portfolio at the end of the year and it's kind of like you spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds to print and they say you know what maybe it's good you print two copies as well one for yourself and one for us and it's like, okay, so I thought architecture was sustainable, but not only that, so not only is it not sustainable, but it's also like draining my pockets as well. And then at the end, it's like, okay, the end. And I mean, I remember also in first year, they gave us a whole list of, of things that we had to buy, like really, really fancy materials and like a, a certain portfolio and plastic sleeves to put our papers in. And then when we submitted, they said, why did you get these plastic sleeves? Bin them they're really annoying to look at because they create a glare like well you told me to buy them you gave me a list and i actually went out and there's and uh, yeah i don't know this whole money aspect as well it's very contra you know education business conflicting but i went into architecture knowing that it doesn't make money someone said to me they sat me down they're like it was in secondary school. She said, you know that it's very low paying. And I said, that's fine. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it to create change. So, oh, yeah. Same. Yeah. Same. I, I said that I didn't care if it, it didn't give me money. At the end of the day, I want to do what I want to do. And I'm interested in it. So I'm going to go for it. But then there was a part of me that wanted to prove everyone wrong because they were questioning and criticizing my decision so much, kind of saying that you don't know any better. You know, you need to, you need to change your decision. And there were lots of points in, in my sort of education where I was kind of asked to, you know, not blatantly, but there were undertones of being asked to reconsider my entire education. And I was like, uh, no, this is still what I want to do. I know I'm failing, but, you know, I'll push through and eventually we'll get there. So, yeah, I don't know. But in terms of the money, the people uh, printing, I remember we rallied, not rallied, but because when, when I was president for Architecture Society, there were so many meetings that we were doing with staff, tutors, you know, the fabrication lab, the higher-ups, heads, and they would all ask us, like, what, what do the students want? I'm like, the students want to be able to pay for their shit. Like, you know, stop asking us to print for crit for, you know, several versions of portfolios these people like I mean I was privileged enough to not have to worry about money as much but I had friends who were working three jobs and trying to finish their portfolio at the same time and I'm just like how do you expect the education model that existed 20 years ago when you don't actually you had maybe one part-time job or like a couple of like students maybe two three in the year that were actually doing part-time jobs but now like 90% of them are working at the same time how are you not accommodating that in your education i i don't get it like change with the system change with the you know i don't know and going back again to the whole sustainability thing like 
we have yeah, you know we're all about architecture is all about developing and becoming more you know keeping up with technologies and what's wrong with a screen where I could just put my USB in and plug it in and then you can look at my work through there I mean I understand it's different when you have it printed out and you can see the lines but for something that's so provisional and in the process yeah yeah and the pandemic the pandemic is testament to that everything was mm. online this year right mm. like submissions was, online. even the exhibition the exhibition even the was exhibition online. was a virtual online exhibition it, like i mean there was a it was like a 3d tour like i mean you know that was it, it baffled me that we weren't allowed to be submitting digitally before like if there's a choice at least there should be a choice you know at least for people that can't afford to print and like 20 25 pages of a portfolio or print smaller we print a2s and a1s for our portfolio we're not allowed to print a3s and it's like it's double the money i mean i don't know we're going on a very like small (laughs) but you know (laughs) okay so i'm gonna steer i'm gonna steer everybody back yeah so, and I want to be respectful of everybody's time. So you're out of school. Well, you, some of you, are you all out, right? Out. Well, yeah. yeah. Currently out. I mean, I still have a year left to do for my diploma before I'm chartered. So I, I think I might do that this year, or maybe the year after, but at the moment I'm working. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Rim, Rim's in the same position as me and Zahra has her master's and diploma still to do, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to switch now to your newly found two-month-old organization. <laughs> so one of the things that you guys were doing, and I, I want to apologize in advance, I'm really bad at reading and pronunciation. <laughs> so forgive me if I pronounce your name wrong or I pronounce something incorrectly. So you're doing Marsha? Did I say that right? Mejlis. Mejlis. Okay. Yay! Okay. Um, For a series, right? Yeah. Okay. So what is it? Like, educate me on on this. And it's about spaces, right? Safe spaces. Safe spaces. Okay. So Um, Mejlis. Oh, sorry, Zahra, do you want to go? No, no, you're better at no uh, no i'm not better i'm just gonna <laughs> okay <laughs> no, uh, you know what i want to explain i was literally gonna say that <laughs> all right well majlis is it's a persian and it's an arabic term for a meeting space where people from the community come together in an open space and they sit down and they discuss certain pressing issues and usually these people are they could be most of the times there would be for example like a someone from a mosque or a mayor or someone just someone from from the community with community members as well and we really like that idea of you know it's kind of what we wanted to do so i mean what we wanted to do was a space where people come together and they discuss their issues like us muslim women in architecture we come together i mean because we always used to do this between ourselves it, like little like the definition of measureless was what we used to do between ourselves in architecture studios or over the phone or when we used to go out 
to do a picnic in the park and then uh, somehow would end up talking about these issues anyways because we're so passionate about them. So we thought, okay, wouldn't it be nice if we actually use that term to actually put a label on what we're doing with the discussions that we're having? So we thought, okay, let's have a online majlis, a virtual majlis, because ideally what, we, what would have been nice was for the majlis to take place, for example, in a coffee shop or somewhere public maybe. But when the pandemic happened, since we actually launched during the pandemic as well, we had no other choice but to go virtual. So what we're doing is online majlis, maj so majlis, plural of majlis. Uh, we're doing online majlis via Zoom. And what we do is we, we are doing it as part of the London Festival of Architecture. And the theme of it is power. So we sat down together and we thought, okay, what are we going to do about it? And we thought, wouldn't it be good to do it about safe spaces for, or just spaces, you know, how women, Muslim women or women interact with their cities. And we thought, okay, wouldn't it be nice if we did every single week of, of, of the month? So yeah, of the month. So we would have four weeks and, and that means four majalis. So each week would have a topic. And that's when we thought unsafe spaces safe spaces, gender and space, and the fourth one, which is the future of safe spaces. And yeah, what we did was we tried to think of how we could engage everyone in these discussions. And we only thought it was right that we do some reading and we actually educate ourselves about these four topics because we only thought that, okay, we would definitely have something to say, even if we didn't do any reading, but it would be nice if we could if there was some sort of basis to our theories maybe that we had so that's kind of yeah we we put up some so we made a, a drive for everyone to get access to because part of MWA is to also share the knowledge that we have so we thought it would be good to get those books or articles that we came across or films or videos whatever it is and make it accessible for everyone else so that they could also have access to them and yeah so every week we put up uh, some materials that we've come across and we we encourage people to share their resources and we open up some the discussion by uh, posing some questions to to the audience that we feel are would be good based on the readings that we've made and we do get people actually interacting engaging with these questions on our posts which is nice and then that kind of goes forward within uh, the discussions that we have at the end of the majlis which takes place after we've had our special guests uh, present their work which relates to the themes so in the first week we had Nuria Malik, Sahar Patan and Noha Hansen presenting their part two projects that they did at university at different universities in, in London which were which related to the uh, theme of unsafe spaces. And then in the second week, again, it was myself, uh, Tahin and Neda Sultani who, pre who presented her work, which was under the theme of Oasis in the city, which we felt related to the theme of safe spaces. And then last week we had five special guests, which uh, we realized <laughs> was actually, a, we, we, we've previously had three special guests. So this last week it was five and we thought, wow, that was very intense because the discussion afterwards lasted for two hours. Two hours. We, yeah. had a three, we had a three hour measureless and usually it's been two hours maximum. An hour and a half. 
Yeah. So that was really interesting. We had film screenings and it was about, uh, we had, yeah, it was film screening by Sama Khan from Pakistan. And then we had Fatima um, from Sheffield, who's from Iranian background. And we had Ali, which was really nice to have her because she's not a fem- she's not a Muslim woman in architecture, but she, her project looked into, her approach comes from feminism. She's a feminist. So she, she's very, her work's very driven in that sense and she had a lot to say about what we were discussing as well which was really nice and then we had as well Jaudat Adnan from Canada who we actually never met before we, the only time we met her was in the first two majlis and that's how yes. we met her and yes. she 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 told us that she would like to get involved and she sent her um, CV and portfolio. She told us about her dissertation, and she was really involved in the discussions. And we thought, wouldn't it be amazing to have her on as part of our special guest? And also, we had Shukri Shukri Sultan from After Party Zine, which is an amazing group of people who have set up in London from BAME backgrounds, and they do really amazing work. And she did a presentation about her experience within the her personal experience in female prayer spaces and mosques which was amazing and so much just so much discussion took place afterwards and we had to end it it was like okay guys it's really great but it's time to go and hopefully yeah. we'll carry on and i was like it's 2 30 a.m i need to go to sleep guys let's go <laughs> i didn't want the discussion to end though it just, yeah. it, it just got better and better yep um, and the nice yeah. thing is people get more confident and open up and they 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 kept saying can i say can i can i can i also say something in the chat can i also yeah. say this? of course you can of course and it was really nice it was really nice to have those discussions and to meet new faces every week we meet new faces and we have males also joining us and actually there was gonna there was going to be a muslim male who was going to join us but he couldn't but it would have we were actually going to engage him in the discussion and see his take on what he thought about safe spaces for Muslim women, but also safe spaces for Muslim men. Because it would be nice to know what, yeah. what, what the male kind of thought is on that. So we're opening it up gradually to also the male, the male gender to be involved in as well, which would be nice. How would that dynamic work? Because I'm an advocate for like women in architecture. I've done like a couple of things and we've always been inclusive, like whoever wants to show up, show up. But also too, should I watch what I say when you open it up with, with men? So was there any thought? Zahra always says, Zahra always says we need to be careful. You, you have to say this, Zahra. You have to explain this bit. I, I mean, <laughs> so... The, the thing is, we started doing Muslim women so that Muslim women could have a space to speak more because what we find is that we lack a lot of confidence in speaking our opinion, saying things that we're interested in, etc. And one of the things that we talked about initially was that maybe the majlis is only for Muslim women so that they have an opportunity to just discuss whatever they wanted. And then we said no, that's, that doesn't work because if we're talking about safe spaces and unsafe space, the people that we need to speak to are the ones that are in power and that's the male gender. And we need to open it up to them. 
but you find that they don't engage because they see Muslim women and the minute they see Muslim women, they're like, oh, it must be, the events must be only for Muslim women. That's, that's the misconception. We've had a couple of people say, oh, is this, I thought this was only open for you guys. What's, what's happening? We're like, no, it's open to everyone. Please come, please discuss. But it gets difficult to kind of engage people that don't really have, what's the word, that don't really have incentive, I would say, like everyone has their own issues and they don't necessarily need to, they feel like they don't necessarily need to engage with our, our discussions. So one of the ways that we were going to try to engage the opposite gender was by introducing someone that was actually male and actually a Muslim and actually an architect or architecture student to speak about it. So, but that didn't actually work out because we, it was quite last minute and he couldn't make it. Hopefully for the future though. Sorry, I, I miss, I don't. Well, I just want to say something, sorry, about this, this specific person that we're talking about. He's been really supportive as well of our um, organization and he's, he's got a big following on Instagram. So he, He's also kind of tried to promote our work as well. And he's invited us over to one of his talks to take part as well. So it's really nice when it's not like a battle or a fight between the sexes. It's more of kind of listening out and kind of seeing how we can help each other where we can. So, yeah, I just wanted to add that point as well. What did you mean when you said Zara said, be careful? I, I kind of missed the point. Oh, sorry. You know, sometimes, or am I imagining things? Sometimes we, we want to talk about certain topics that might be controversial in an Islamic way. Or, ah, yeah. And, and it's like, okay, but we need to be careful because... Yeah. I, okay, so I say be careful because we, I know people generally see Islam as one entity, but we have several sects and several cultures. There's a lot of influence in influence of culture in Islam and the way Islam is practiced around the world. And it's difficult for us to kind of say, this is what Islam is about. This is what you should be doing as a woman. This is what you should be doing as a man. It's, it's kind of almost, it's impossible to kind of put a, put a sort of rule book of things when you haven't actually studied the religion as well. And we're not scholars. We're only people that studied architecture and we're not even good at that. So, (laughs) you know, I, I, I keep saying that we need to be careful about bringing religion into it. We need to say that this is the identity that we have and we're uplifting people that have this identity, but we're not following, we're not talking about what Islam's specific role is in architecture because then it changes the entire conversation that we're trying to have, which is that Muslim women can do other things than talk about being Muslim. You know, it's not that we need to always have the conversation about, oh, I'm an architect and I only do things for Muslim women, or I'm an architect and I only do things for my community. I can be an architect, do parametric architecture and still be a visibly Muslim woman. It's not, it's not that I have to always be interested in that side or not every Muslim, Muslim woman is an expert on that side to have a conversation about that. I think that's, that's why I was kind of saying we should be careful about not making it completely about the religion Mm -hmm. I remember I was on a juror this two-day conference 
and I get to select the lectures or seminars or whatever. And so I was reading their description and their course or whatever. And there was one presenter who specified that they only want black and brown people in the audience. And the conference was about community, urban type of conference. And I loved that idea. And the premise was you were able to freely talk about whatever it is you feel like talking about. Two, that the other, the non-Black and Brown people in the audience wouldn't take that information and make it their own. It was a compelling argument and it was a debate because it was on one hand, you're being exclusive, right? And then how are you going to police it? Because you're going to police it. Because it was pretty open. Anybody can go in and out. There really wasn't any check-in or, you know, whatever. So if a non-Black and Brown person goes into the audience, how are you going to, would it be a conflict? How, how, you, how would you handle it? And you don't want to, the last thing you want yeah. is to deal with that. So it was kind of a debate about should we even have this program or not? This other person was also presenting something else. And so I was the one arguing for it because it was like, this never happens. You, you, this is a conference about community. It's about the black and brown community. And you want to have that conversation. So we ended up having it. And there was a person that was in the audience. And we kindly, the person like, listen, this is a discussion for black and brown people only. And this person walked out. But it was amazing because first we all identified each other. Like, how do you identify yourself? You know, I'm a, identify as a black Caribbean heterosexual female, like that type of thing. And then they went on and we talked about whatever the topic was. So I think another thing too that drew me to you guys was you created a space as in like, you know, there are just like how the BFA created the space. It's like how here in the U.S. there's this national organization of minority architects. We created a space. Women in architecture, they created a space. And, and I think we will at one point. So I think for LFA, we started off by um, opening up to the public because there's something as big as a lot of business of architecture. All of the reasons that Zahra has said, but also we wanted more people could listen in and kind of educate themselves about these issues but then i think in the future we we spoke about how we will make it just ex- exclusively for muslim women because we want these women to feel safe and feel comfortable to open about open up about their struggles because you wouldn't feel comfortable you know opening up about certain things if there's a man sitting in that room or if there's someone not from ethnic background it's like oh they won't get it and if I say something like that I'll look stupid and so you'll start gaslighting yourself I think we realize that and I think um, in the future we do hope to do these just Muslim only events so that these girls young and old have the opportunity to kind of voice their struggles in this purest form without sugarcoating it and they feel comfortable because I think that's really important and to make them realize that we're in the same boat, we've probably went through the same thing. And yeah, so that I think, does that answer your, or does that kind of answer what you were yeah. um, 
but we've definitely had that conversation and we we disagreed and agreed and disagreed and agreed it's about at what point do we open it up to non-muslim women and at what and and at what point do we keep it just as a conversation for us only and i think it's healthy to do both it's good to have it have it at times where it's just exclusively only for muslim women in architecture and it's good at times to have maybe the same discussion again but with people who are with engaging people who aren't from that background because i remember also i took part once in a in a event it was it was called arab women artists now it was part of that festival and then we had someone who wasn't an arab woman take part and we had a male even take part and at first i thought "Mm, why are we doing this i don't get it but then it only took me time afterwards to understand that it's really healthy to have people from different backgrounds who aren't necessarily from the same background as you engaging in these conversations and offering their perspective as well because it kind of helps you see things from different directions and broaden your insight on certain topics sometimes these people are allies they're not you know they're not you know against you they're trying to use your platform to help you as well so that's why having that sort of that opportunity for other people that are not from you know that ethnic background or from that religion whatever i think you know kind of opening it up at some times to allow these people to you know to to be allies to be a part of um these conversations and you know they share these values and stuff because not not everyone is out there to get us there are people there are mm-hmm. people that want to help us and create more diversity so i think that's why having a balance of the two is important and I was gonna say something else, but I completely forgot. But hopefully, it comes back to me. Well, um, I want to say as well, actually, to add on to that as well, is that if we say that we want to create change within the bigger system, if we're not cooperating with these people from that system and and kind of working hand by hand, like I said, these people want to be allies with us. How are we going to create that change if we stay within our own bubble? So we definitely have to do this and that. Yeah, I, I remember now what I was going to say. So I, one thing I noticed with our majlises is that there's this kind of a pattern where in the beginning we have a lot of people that tune in and there's, I'll say, 35 people to about 25 people, roughly, the first three that stay at the, at the beginning and they listen to the presentations and then I'll say in the beginning of the discussion, so like an hour in, they'd stay. But towards the end, you, you would only find like, just Muslim women that are at the end and that's when the conversation gets really interesting and people feel comfortable that you know they can see all the faces and you get into like some really really fruitful like discussions and that's what happened last oh sorry two days ago last yeah. you know day it was only about 17 of us in the end and we were like really getting to into some deep conversation and people were feeling comfortable to talk about something one this i found this incredible like one of the girls felt comfortable to talk about sexual harassment like she got she got sorry let me um, rephrase that she felt comfortable to share an event that happened to her she was sexually harassed in paris and she felt comfortable enough to share that experience with us on strangers and you know if there were men in the audience i don't think she would feel as comfortable. I don't know, but Rim, I think Rim and Zahra also kind of pointed 
pointed that out earlier in another meeting that you know creating this space allowed that kind of safe space allowed these girls to open up and you wouldn't feel comfortable as much to, to do it if it was mixed if, if that makes sense yeah I, 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 I hope I'm making sense yeah. no no you are you are you're making okay okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how do so it was all blank that's why oh I'm yeah no <laughs> <laughs> so how do people find you at the moment it's just instagram like our main platform is instagram at the moment and we have twitter we have facebook i think we're okay. most active on instagram mm-hmm. and, um we publish our events through eventbrite and so i guess you know if you were to just type in architecture and all that you know all of those it would come up on the feed but mainly is instagram at the moment we're working on our website uh, which we hope to launch by next month at some at some point or end of next month did we say no no i think yeah, we next month yeah. but currently it's just well mainly it's instagram yeah is there a way and, uh, people sorry sorry no go ahead go ahead no i was just gonna say other organizations have been really supportive as well by resharing our page yeah our page on their instagram especially architecture foundation and so many other organizations that i could literally get their names now and again like i said um Hamza from Two Worlds Design, who who was going to join us in last measures, but he was really supportive in you know sharing our page on his. So it's, yeah, it's just about other organisations and groups resharing, and, and we hope to do the same as well. Are you guys getting any funding for this? No, no, <laughs> zero. If anybody wants to sponsor us, we're we're alive and well, and we'd love the money. <laughs> <laughs> There's no grants or anything or any program. There are, there are, but we just need to look into them and actually apply for them. Yeah. So yeah. we need to find the time because we've just launched it. We're still trying to get our heads, heads around. And sometimes we even, because we're working as well and uh, sometimes we fall behind and we only publish the Eventbrite page like one day before the actual measure list. So like we're still trying to kind of find our feet yeah. and, and manage our time. Yeah find a balance definitely and manage our time better but once we kind of I think once we're done with the LFA Majalis where we have the architecture foundation talk actually which we're, we're which we're taking part in the 100 day studio but I think once that's all kind of settled down a bit we're going to definitely look into applying for grants and funds because it'll be nice to also you know expand the team and maybe see where things go and we were talking about you know doing competitions and projects and being more involved in the design process as well yeah Um, and at the end of the day we also want to do research as well right because yeah of course we're getting a lot of information from a lot of people and at some point a couple of years down the line inshallah (laughs) we'll be able to do some really good research publications publications i don't know if we i don't know if we've talked about muslim i don't know if the other muslim women architects but that's that's one of the main things that we want to do is create a database of muslim women architects that exist that are doing amazing 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 work but aren't recognized purely Mm -hmm. because they don't have the opportunity to or they're just not on the map because you know the that other white person is um just considered a little bit more important 
um, on judging panels. And I mean, even through this, I used to have this misunderstanding that there weren't many Muslim women out there that were architects or were established, mm. especially in my country, in India. And I found this amazing woman that has, that owns two firms and is part of this amazing research project. She she graduated from the AA, the Architecture Association in London. And I was like, where, where the hell were you when I was being educated then? Like, you know, so it's, it's like you go to the library and there's no way you can find a Muslim woman that actually did stuff. So that's kind of one of the things that we want to do. Put us on in the library, put us in yeah. the books in the library. Yeah. And on the so, internet. Like it's yeah. and on the internet. Yeah. I mean, you, but creating not, the not, archive. Is there anything else? I see my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We oh, made yeah. notes. We th- I think the main thing is just, I have one note here that says, reaching out to younger girls at universities, etc. <laughs> So I think that's basically. Oh, I had a, I had that point to make. Sorry, yeah. Like Go when I got cut make off, it. when I got cut off, because uh, we were talking about whether or not men should be not men should be allowed, but how how inclusive and exclusive we can be. And I think at the end of the day, it's just be visible, uh, regardless of who's being inclusive, who's being exclusive. We'll find a way to to include people at some points. We'll find a way to exclude people at some points when it's necessary. I'm pretty sure Reem and Tahin's already mentioned this, but at the end of the day, it's being visible, being present, taking up mm. space, mm-hmm. telling people that we're here, we're doing this thing, you know, we're architects, we're architectural designers, we're designers, we're, we're here to tell you that these people existed long and before we actually started this organization, you just did not listen. You know, you just did not search for it and you didn't bother to educate other people about it. So we're here to do that for you. So I'm not yeah. aware of any groups here in the U.S. That doesn't mean that they don't exist. It's mm-hmm. just I'm not aware of any. Is there any advice you would give a Muslim woman that's in this profession right now? Oh. Can we can we each give an advice? Is that is that yeah. how? Should we do it like that? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I mean, I. Oh, oh my gosh. To give advice. <laughs> a piece of advice. Or at least mm. from your from from doing from from doing what you're doing right now with, Pers- at, I would with say. your organization, or at the very least, any topics that keep coming up that you keep Ooh, hearing I have over one. and over again. I think. Well, I won't really say advice, but this sort of lesson that I've learned—not lesson. I mean, that's a big thing, but kind of something that I've observed is that how courageous I've become since starting this up. And the only reason I've been courageous is because I've started seeing and actually looking for Muslim women that are, you know, established in the architecture field. And then it gives me this courage to say that, oh yeah, I can do this too. Like I can eventually do this and I will, I will probably succeed at it. So advice would be search it up look look for the people that you want to that represent you it'll be hard it'll be difficult but they are there my advice would be don't don't think you're not worth of taking that position or putting your hand up when someone says who wants to do this for example 
So I remember we used to have the, what was it called? Studio representatives. So each studio at the university had a representative that would take part in a, a monthly meeting or something like that with the head of the school. And they'll discuss, and what they would do is they would discuss like any pressing issues within the studio or the university or anything, any topics or discussions that come up. So you would ask your studio, do you guys have anything that you want to, to raise? And I can go and, and basically talk about that uh, during the meeting. So I thought, why not? Let me put my hand up and let me put myself forward. What's stopping me? And actually turned out no one else wanted to do it. So it was kind of like, <laughs> okay, perfect. So <laughs> I'll do that. Uh, and then I, it, it was good because sometimes as Muslim women with a scarf on, on our heads, we feel that we need to kind of blur in the background and not kind of be too visible because if we, if we do anything stupid or wrong or say something, um, they might hold, this is kind of all in our heads, but we think they will hold us hold it against us or maybe they would I don't know but not to have that thought we all make mistakes and we all say silly things at one point in our lives and but you just grow from that afterwards so I thought okay let me just go ahead with it and 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 you know be out there be like Zahra was saying be visible and from then on people associated me with that person who you know, and then the next year came and they were like, okay, we need to choose a studio representative. Who should it be? And everyone just kind of looked at me. And so, so basically put yourself out there and people will think of you when they need something or when they want yep. to, or when they want to have a talk and, or whatever it is, they will, you'll come to their minds because they've seen you out there doing something already. So, and don't be afraid. And and you've got time to develop and grow even if you think that you're not up there yet i mean no one started off up there everyone worked their way eventually at one point so yeah be heavily involved in in especially at university that's kind of like your comf it's a it's an easier place to to kind of enter that networking environment so take it and and run with it and it will help you in the long run and if you haven't done it it's not too late to do it uh, just get involved like for example in in the uk we have the royal institute of british architects it was it would be really good to kind of if you didn't have that chance to get involved at university you can still do it now uh, by volunteering or taking part in in whatever they have just yeah just that would be my advice make yourself visible make yourself known and me, okay, I would say to a young, young Muslim girl uh, starting up in architecture, I would say don't let anyone steal your thunder. Um, this industry will tell you to be a certain way, to lose your values, change your values, change your views and all that. But I would say stick to those, like stick, you know, if, you know, you believe in, uh, believe in your values and hold on, hold on to them. And I, I speak, speak. Of, of this from experience because I remember when I started off um, in in the architecture industry I you know, fresh out of uni I was told by so many people to take my headscarf off Muslim women that the very few that I did know that were in the industry they would be telling me take the hijab off because you won't become successful with it on I had family members not my parents thankfully but I had family members telling me you should take the headscarf off because you'll never make it as an architect. Like you won't become successful. You won't be able to, you know, 
go far in your industry if you do that and for a while there I thought oh my god goodness I have to I have to do this I spent so long chasing a career in architecture I, I did three years and I want to go for even further you know, if I want to do that, if I want to become successful, I'm going to have to take this headscarf off. And for me, it was a huge decision. I couldn't, because wearing the headscarf, this is my choice. This is a part of my identity. I want to, like, taking that off would have been a huge, a huge deal for me. And I went through, like, so much, like, months. I, I was going over it and over it. And then in the end, it was actually white English lady that worked in the practice office that I was working in she hired me and she was saying how that if you don't want to work with people that just fixates on how you look or how you choose to practice your religion or you know your values don't align with this you don't want to work with people like that the people that you want to work for are those that look at you for your skills the the skills that you have your degrees you as an architect not how you look okay a lot of people are so fixated on oh this person is going to represent my company they have to look a certain way they have to dress a certain way they have to talk a certain way okay there are some aspects that you need to obviously consider but how a person chooses to um, practice their religion how a person chooses to practice uh, you know just stuff like this, like religion or culture, whatever, you shouldn't really have um, a say in that. The woman that told me this, she was saying that that you, you don't want to work with people like that and just hold on to your values, hold on to what you believe is true and the right people will choose you and you don't want to end up working for, you don't want to change yourself and conform to what the whole industry is telling you to be like them dress a certain way, look a certain way, talk a certain way, you know, just hold on to those values. And so that's why I say, um, don't let anyone steal your thunder, um, know your self-worth, um, because, oh my gosh, eight years in, nine years in, the amount of, you know, nonsense that I had to um, go through, and I, I'm sure there'll be more, there'll be so much more in the future. It, you have to kind of uh, develop a thick skin and, yeah, so for someone that's just very young, it's going to be challenging. But if you're if you're passionate about architecture and you want to pursue a career in architecture, go for it. But don't let what these people say get to you. Don't let it dishearten. Don't let what they say dishearten you. There's people out there. People have done this. You know, people. There's there has been other Muslim women that have pursued a, a career in architecture and they are successful. And so you know, MWAs hopefully hopefully will be a platform that will be that support, even if it's tiniest little bit. Can I add a point as well, just really, really quickly, which is on yeah. the on just carrying on from what Leah said. Also like you will you will most likely face points where you will fail and or fall down and find yourself at the lowest point within your career. I think we've all been through that. But my advice, my personal advice would be don't wait for someone to pick you up. You have to kind of like lift yourself up by yourself. Don't look up to anyone. Let yourself be the highest inspiration at that moment so that you can actually get through it, um, which is what I had to do personally and really just focus on myself and my self-growth within personally as an architect within the field, but also the kind of work that I was doing. I had to kind of like establish myself in that as well. So try and find yourself in the career and um, let yourself be the main drive, main inspirational drive.
is rim short for something? No, it's actually rim, but and it means baby gazelle. What's that? What's that character in the Bambi? Bambi yeah, basically a Bambi. But when my dad wanted to uh, register my name, he asked. He said he thought to himself, "Okay, I'll say it, and I'll say rim, and I'll let the." Because it was a white lady, he thought, oh, she'll probably know how to write it properly so that I could, it will work out in school, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a white system. So he said Reem and she wrote R-I-M. And yeah, it's just been R-I-M. Uh, it's been Rim, 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 Rim. Or it's been oh, that's Rim, Bim or Rim of Perimeter in school. Everyone would look at me and it's kind of like, okay, that's enough. But we call her Rim as well sometimes. And like I have I have moments where I call her Reem because I, I have friends named Reem. And then her name is actually spelled Rim. So then I got confused the first time I, I met her. I was like, I'm not sure if your name is Rim or Reem. And I don't know what the difference is in Arabic, but yeah. It's Reem. It, yeah. I, I I call her Rim and I've Rim. Yes, and um, I'm sorry. I should start calling you Reem then. It's, no, no, Rim is what I go by, to be honest. Only... Arab people call me Reem so sometimes yeah like Zahra says Reem so it's fine I'm both work so yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and for me like I said before I've got two names um Tahin what is my given name and my grandparents gave me that name and Leah my mom gave me that name and I prefer Leah because it's it sounds more feminine Whereas Tahin is kind of a neutral kind of name, but you can't really tell if it's a feminine or masculine name. So I prefer to go with Leah. But even with Leah, people don't even know how to pronounce that correctly. It's like, is it Leah? Is it Leah? And then I kind of gave up in the middle and I just let people call me whatever. So like personally, I prefer to be called Leah. And and I think now, nowadays, because I've got so many people calling me Leah now, and if I hear anyone call me Tarhin, I cringe a little. I was like, oh, I just don't like being associated with the name Tarhin. But at the same time, I refuse to change it, though. Um, I could have, you know, changed it by now, but um, almost out of respect for my grandparents, um, I've kept it. And so, yeah, so it's just always, in the beginning, it's always a little bit awkward trying to explain to people I've got two names. You can choose which one you want to call me, um, but I prefer Leah. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> you guys have such interesting stories about your names. I'm just like, yeah, my name means flower. That's it. My aunt gave me that name. <laughs> That's nice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you so you. much for, so for the opportunity. Us. Yeah, and uh, giving us this opportunity to talk to you and talk to you about our experiences been incredible and made new friends yes exactly yeah it's really you need to come on you need to come on our majalis yeah i've been trying i've been trying to catch it but it's work like oh oh, yeah fair enough yeah Yeah. hopefully next the last one will be a little bit more accessible well we'll, we're trying to figure out timings yeah oh okay all right guys oh all right Bye, Bye. Hey, listeners. I have an exciting announcement. I decided to launch a membership program for the show where you have a chance to support me and the show directly. I love creating the show 
and it means the world to me that you all tune in to keep hearing me week after week. But it takes an immense amount of time and energy to produce. I want to keep the show going and I want to invest in its growth. And I also want you to become a partner with me in this journey. That's why I'm excited to give you a chance to officially become a supporter of the show at glow.fm slash archispolly, A-R-C-H-I-S-P-O-L-L-Y, or by clicking the link in the show notes. It's quick and easy. It takes less than 30 seconds and just takes clicking a link in the show notes and using Apple or Google Pay. You don't have to create any new logins and you can contribute as much or as little as you like. If this show is part of your day or week and you like what I'm doing, then visit glow.fm slash archespolly, all one word, and support me and the show in any way you can today.